if you'd like to take your seats, we're going to get started. And we're going to continue that theme of, seems like there's a theme that's been running for the last few weeks, and it's a theme of evangelism. And I think, you know, God is on mission now, and he's, he's really been speaking to us about that. So today's message is entitled, Evangelism, Our Glorious Privilege. And our main text, our main text today is going to be Luke 18, 18 to 27. To 27. But we've got a few other verses that we're going to be looking at. Why are you laughing? I didn't put that up there. I just sent it to him, yeah? I didn't tell him how to spell it. Yeah? So don't shoot me. It's spelt right on my... Anyway. So, yeah, the Lord's speaking to us. And we've got lots of verses we're going to go through today. We've got some clips to break it up because... Generally, this is a course that would last about eight weeks, and we've condensed it down into about four hours. No? That weren't funny. Okay, we've condensed it down to about 50 minutes, and uh, we've got some clips that we're going to play to kind of break it up a bit so that you can see what actually happens on the streets. So it's just not my say, so we've got the clips to prove it. So let's get into the text today. We're going to pray in a moment. So, let's think back to 2016 for a moment. What have all these people got in common? Let me read out some names. David Bowie, Muhammad Ali, Alan Rickman, Terry Wogan, Sir George Martin, Prince, Ronnie Corbett, Paul Daniels, Johan Cruyff, football fans, Victoria Wood, Miss Merton, George Michael, Gene Wilder, Fidel Castro, Leonard Cohen, Zaza Gabor, wrong answer. Rick, 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 hold on, I ain't finished yet. Rick Partiff from The Who, Carrie Fisher, Glenn Fry from The Eagles, Denise Roberts, Hilda Ogden from Carnation Street, Pete Burns, and Manuel from Forty Towers. They all died in 2016. All those people. And they're just the stars that we know about. They all walked off into eternity. They become part of the ultimate statistic. That is, 10 out of 10 people die. Within the next 24 hours, 150,000 people around the world will be snatched into eternity with no second chance. Have you noticed that when someone passes away, when someone walks out of life, when they check out of life, what do we see banded around on Facebook and in Twitter and in the media, on the TV? RIP, rest in peace. They've gone to a better place. They have now entered eternal peace. They have been laid to rest. You see, the world has been duped into thinking it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter who you're trusting in. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. Everyone goes to a better place. Right? Wrong. Is that what the Bible teaches? Is Jesus the way or is he just a way? Oprah Winfrey said that God is like he's at the top of a mountain. And you, all roads lead to, to one place. You can take the Muslim path, the Hindu path, 
the Buddhist path, the Jehovah Witness path, any path you take, all roads lead to one place. So why should these things matter to us? After all, we're all going to die one day, aren't we? That's just life, right? Would it be fair to say that out of the 150,000 people that die, would it be fair to make the assumption that most of them are not Christians? Would that be a fair assumption? And if they're not Christian, Christians, what is the fate that awaits them when they die? Well, let's see what our fate was before we became Christians by looking at God's word in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. It's going to be up on the board for those that haven't got their Bibles with them or it's easier to find. Okay, so Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following after the course of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. These verses say that before we came to faith, before we came, became Christians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and that by nature, we were children of wrath. So if we follow that line of thinking, follow that through, that must mean mankind outside of Christ are dead in our trespasses and sin, and are by nature children of wrath. Let's look at Acts 17, 30 and 31. I told you we're going to go through a few verses today. Okay. Truly, these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Hebrews 10, 31. That's not going to be on the board. Um, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 2 Corinthians 5.11, the first part says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now these are some sobering verses. They should awaken us. They should stir us up to the fact that there is a great need for the gospel to go out. But they need someone to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Let's look at Romans 10, 14 and 15. It's up on the board. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in, in, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news. So let's just quickly pray and get into today's message. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I pray that our eyes will be open, our ears will be attentive, our hearts will be ready to receive what it is you have to say, Lord, as you continue along this theme of evangelism, Father God. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us and guide us, Father God, that you would instill these things in our hearts, Father God. Let them sit there and, and manifest within us, Father God, with regards to the gospel, Father God. So, Lord, we pray that you would have your way today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, two weeks ago, Brother Byron shared from the book of Acts about the need for us as a church to be involved in evangelism. Last week, we had a comedian, stroke preacher man. He armed us with a boldness that we can use in our gospel endeavours. That was Pastor Joel. Could God be speaking to us individually and collectively as a church? The question is, are we listening? Our, are our ears open to what God has to say to us? You see, Jesus made the subject of evangelism his last commandment to, the, to his disciples. So it must be important, right? Let's look at um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's going to be on the board. Thank you, brother. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in our evangelism efforts. So why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing what Jesus called us to do? Okay, let's look at some of our excuses. And some of these are my excuses too, yeah? I'm not trying to be clever. I'm terrified of mentioning Jesus. Afraid of rejection. We have that de desire for people to think well of us. The desire for self-preservation. It's that fear of being laughed at. We don't want people to think that we're weird. Do you know there's a myth that has emerged and it's that religion is a private business and we must not talk about it. You know, I once worked with a girl where I'm presently working, been there 22 years, and I didn't know that she was a devout Christian until the day I went to her funeral. Thank God that she was. In all the years that you've been a Christian, not before you was a Christian, in all the years that you've been a Christian, put your hands up if anyone has ever tried to share the gospel with you, one-to-one, -one, as a Christian. So a few hands. But there's a few hands down where, you know, in all the years you've been a Christian, no one's ever come along and shared the gospel with you. Another excuse is, <coughs> sorry, what if they ask, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? I'm going to look foolish, right? Guess what? We will never have the answers to all their questions. And we must learn to say, you know what? I don't really know the answer to that. But if you really want to know, I'll find the answer and I'll get back to you. Most people's objections center around three areas, three issues. Morality, science, and laws of logic. Now, I'm not going to talk about those arguments today. If you want to know how to deal with the skeptic of the Christian faith, I would suggest you um, listen to my teaching, which is called um, Believe Your Bible, A Presuppositional Defense of the Faith. That was a teaching I did last year, my one yearly visit to the pulpit. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining, because, hey, this is, this is scary. So... If you want to know how to deal with those kind of people, you can find that teaching on ecclesiasermon.net. 
I think it is, Harriet, yeah? Or the Ecclesia Facebook site. Yep, cool, got that right. So, one thing you can also say to the skeptic is, if I can give you enough evidence to prove to you be all, beyond all reasonable doubt that the Bible is true and what it says about the person of Jesus is true, would you worship him? Guess what? 99.9% .9 of people will say no, proving that they're more interested in trying to stump you. Ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, we are more interested in what man thinks of us than what God thinks of us. One of the other reasons why we don't share our faith is we simply don't know how to. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> it's my prayer today that this message will change that. See, I don't want anyone to leave here today saying, I want to, but I don't know how to. Think about this. When you was a baby, you learned to walk, right? Yeah? Then you learned to crawl. No, you learned to walk. You learned to crawl, <laughs> and then you learned to walk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool. Man's, man's reading the, scripture, the, the text back to front. So you learned to crawl, and then you learned to walk. It has, since I crawled around. You learned to ride a bike. Most of us. We learned to drive a car. We studied to pass our exams. I never, but you probably did. And I didn't pass them. The same goes with evangelism. You see, me, Brother Byron, Mama Shirley, Margaret, who's not here, have all studied to show ourselves approved. Paul comes along and he gets involved and he's learning. See, we didn't learn how to share our faith by watching Desmond's, Love Island or Big Brother. You ain't going to learn to show your faith watching that stuff. That's just a little tip, yeah? <laughs> now, today's, today we're going to learn how to share our faith. But on Thursday in community group, we're going to put that into practice. We're going to have some fun in an environment where we know each other. We're not saying, look, go out on the street and start witnessing to people you don't know. We can practice with each other. So I'm going to be giving everyone a card, which is, and this is for you to keep. And it's got an acronym on it, and it's WDJW. And, um, well, we won't talk about what it stands for. And then on the back, it's got craft. But the whole message is condensed onto this card. And this is something you can keep in your purse, in your wallet, and you can memorize it. So that any time you have a conversation, you will never get lost in where you need to be. Okay? So if you come along Thursday, we're going to get involved. We're going we're gonna go to the, go through sharing our faith one-to-one. -one. We're going to swap around, take it in turns with people that you know, so it won't be scary. Yeah? Everyone coming? Cool. So, who do you find it most difficult to share the gospel with? Family members? Can be very challenging. Friends? Work colleagues? Complete strangers, which is very scary? Or people of other religions? See, I'm not calling anyone here today to come out, stand on a box, and preach. We are not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to evangelize. 
Pastor Ephraim touched on that last week. So where do we start? Well, it starts with us knowing what the gospel is. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's go to God's word and let God tell us what the gospel is. And that's going to be 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. That's going to come up on the board in a sec. Even though the, the, the gospel is mentioned many times throughout the scriptures, there is one place explicitly in the New Testament where it says, this is the gospel, and then spells it out clearly for us. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Now, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So why should we preach the gospel? Why do we preach the gospel? Romans 1.16. I'm not sure if you've got that one. No? Okay, Romans 1.16. And everyone knows this first. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah? We are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, it's the gospel which saves. It's not our clever apologetics. It's not our clever little arguments. It's not moralism. It's the gospel that saves. The gospel changes lives. And I'm sure a lot of us can sit here and, and vouch for that. The gospel does change lives. It's changed our lives. It took my miserable life 10, 12 years ago and changed it, which is why I'm here today. See, Paul was sleeping in the graveyard a while back. He said he didn't mind me mentioning him in my, in my presentation. He was sleeping in the graveyard a while back, and one day someone shared the gospel with him, and his life has changed. You see, we preach the gospel not trusting in our own ability. We don't actually save anyone. Did you know that? We don't save anybody. God saves people from their sin. God saves people through the preaching of the gospel. You see, we will not be rewarded by the number of people that got saved for our witnessing, but because of our faithfulness to preach the gospel. So, there are many ways, many different ways of sharing our faith. So how do we do that? Before I speak on the subject of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need a tactic, we need a method for starting a conversation with someone. Here's one. You can use a gospel track. That's the gospel message on a piece of paper. If you haven't got time to share with someone or you're too scared, you can give them that. And indirectly, you would have shared the gospel with them. So what does a gospel track do? The gospel track acts on a hinge to open the door for conversation. It takes away that, those few minutes of fear that you might have in going to just approach someone and speak to them. It takes away that. Now, I was going to call Byron up, but I'm not. Because <laughs> I haven't given him the lyrics yet. So um, I'm going to do it myself. So you get one of these. 
you go up to someone, you can say, did you get your million? Or did you get one of these? Or can I give you one of these? The person will probably say, what is it? Well, it's a gospel track. What's your name? Bill. My name's Michael. Pleased to meet you. My I'm a shadow, my shadow, yeah? Imaginary friend. He's not real. Then you can gently say, Bill, can I ask you a question? Do you think that there's an afterlife? Or what do you think happens when someone dies? Now, I haven't mentioned God, the Bible, Jesus, heaven, hell, the blood of Christ, or judgment day. All the things that are going to make him uncomfortable. I've just asked him for his opinion. Most people will say, you know what, boy, I don't know. And then we can ask, do you ever think about it? Hopefully they'll say yeah. So, do you know that the most common anxiety amongst people is this? Is the fear of death. And then go on. Bill, do you think you're a good person? Are you going to make it to heaven? How good do you have to be to make it to heaven? And then you will go on to present the gospel message. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this message. So the greatest and best model for us is Jesus himself, right? So let's look at the scripture. This is our text for today. Luke 18, um, 18 to 27. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. Got that, bro? Cool. Okay. Verse 18. A rich, ruler, a rich ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So what does Jesus seek to do with this rich young ruler? Did Jesus say, eternal life? Oh, quickly, say this prayer before you change your mind. Notice the rich young ruler comes up to him and says, good teacher. What was Jesus' first response? Repent, you fool! No, he didn't say that, did he? Why do you call me good? Now, this can be confusing because Jesus is God. God is good. So why does Jesus say, why do you call me good? A brother in the Lord helped me to understand this. Jesus is correcting this man's understanding of what good is. Jesus is saying, if you're coming to me with the mindset that I am just a man, just a teacher, 
which you obviously do, why do you call me good? No one is good but God, God alone. You see, this man has a faulty understanding of what good is. Now, in society these days, the word good has become very relative. It's bounced around. Most people you speak to these days will claim to be a good person. Just like Proverbs 26 says, most men will proclaim each, every one, his own goodness. So here's a clip of some people that we ask that very question to. Hopefully it's going to work. See what I mean? Wow. You see, the Bible tells us that by God's standard, no one is good. Romans 3.12 says, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So once Jesus has corrected this man's understanding of what good is, he introduces him to what? The commandments. God's law. Why did Jesus take this man through some of the commandments? Well, we have a, a great text, a great model here. Jesus didn't just skim over, the, over things. He was very clear to bring understanding to that young man. And we must do the same. 
We need to bring understanding to the person that we're engaging with. Like Jesus, we need to probe the person's heart. We need to arouse the conscience. We need to talk about sin. We need to talk about sin. So what is the function of God's law? And how does it help us and the person that we're engaging with? Well, God's law brings conviction in the sinner's heart. By God's law comes the knowledge of sin. So let's look at Romans 3, 19 and 20. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held, may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Here's the verse. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, using the, the law stops a person from trying to justify themselves. It stops the mouth. It brings an awareness in that person that they have sinned against the God that gave them life. God's law shows us that we are sinners in desperate need of Christ's cleansing. Back to the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus' use of the law. Let's look at verses uh, 19 and 20 of our main text. Cool. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, which is the seventh commandment. Do not murder, the sixth commandment. Do not steal, the eighth commandment. Do not bear false witness, the ninth commandment. And honour your mother and father, which is the fifth commandment. So let's see that played out in practice on the streets with regards to using the law in our evangelism. We're going to look at the next video. Uh, please, aren't they? But I thought I'd 
Jesus said that if you looked a lot after someone, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked at someone with the opposite? All the time, today and Okay. I, I don't... Now, this one's going to mess you up, yeah? Jesus says, if you look to lust after someone, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman that you're not married to with sexual desire? No. You need to think about it? Hello? Have you ever looked at a woman with sexual desire? No. Have you ever looked at anyone with sexual desire? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you in the whole of your life? So using the law in evangelism. And it's not scary. None of them people were offended there. None of them started ranting and raving and growling and stuff. They were cool. But they're the clips I showed you. <laughs> no, I still, still ain't been licked down yet. Been pushed, but not licked down. So, Charles, let's, let's get back. Let's get serious again. So, Charles Spurgeon said, If you fail to use the law in evangelism you will fill the church with false converts. So let's unpack some of the commandments for a moment. Why is sin, what, sorry, what is sin and why is it so sinful? Sin is a violation of God's character. Because Ephesians 1 says, be imitators of God. We are made in God's moral image. So why is stealing wrong? Stealing is not wrong because you, you nicked your neighbor's shovel. Stealing's not wrong because you stole your best, men's, your best friend's man. Stealing's wrong because God is not a thief. And when we steal, we lie about who God is. Why is lying wrong? Lying's not wrong because I told my wife I was somewhere and I weren't really there. Lying's wrong because God is perfectly honest. And when we lie, we lie about who God is. The thing is, every single one of us fails to live according to how we're supposed to live according to the character of God and that puts us in debt to God to a holy righteous God so what does a rich young ruler say all these things I've kept from my youth you can just picture this brother he's young and he's smug but guess what you know what he was rich and he was a ruler over people. I think, do you remember in the 90s when we had the yuppies, the birth of the yuppies? Red braces and all them things. This boy was a yuppie. By today's standards. But he was also deceived. You see, he tries to justify himself. So, let's have some more fun and look at some more clips. Because I know you like them. Let's look at some clips of someone trying to justify themselves. Or some people trying to justify themselves. If you were there, Dublin, would you be innocent or guilty? I'd be innocent because I've done a lot. Now you're just picking up on the bad things. You're not asking about the good things I do, like giving money to charity and helping people in my third world countries. You just ask for like those negative things. Okay. But I think I'd be able to 
regardless of your belief, I'd like to think you'd look at me and think, whatever you're doing, you're doing it for a good reason, and you're a good human being, and that's all about the blood of God. Sorry, people trying to justify themselves. Do you remember Jesus in Luke 16, 15? He said, You are those that justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly exalted among men is an abomination to the Lord. See? Jesus could see right through this person. Right through him. So let's look at verses 21 and 22 of Luke 18. Cool. He said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Through the law, Jesus exposes him. His ultimate God was his wealth, his money. That's his God. Question, who's your God? Jesus used the law as a mirror to show the rich young ruler his sin. And that's what we must do. We have to make sin personal. Now, let's look at Matthew 13, because the issue of understanding is pivotal. It's really important. It's Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. Luke 13, 18, oh, I've got it up there already, 18 to 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now here's the good seed. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who, who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case sixty, and in another thirty. The Bible tells us that we can know a believer by their fruit. 
Jesus said that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So Jason touched on this a few weeks ago. Today we're talking about good fruit in the context of evangelism. Notice that those who, who bear good fruit are those that understand. But those who do not understand, the evil one comes along and snatches away what was sown in their, in their hearts. He has a hard heart and does not understand. And there are those that, sorry, there are, there are those as well that hear the word and receive it with joy. But they only endure for a little while. Now why is that? It's because they haven't heard the gospel in such a way that they understand it fully. They're the product of a man-centered gospel. The abundant life gospel. The your best life now gospel. The sow a seed and you will get this much and then you don't get nothing. This is what they're a product of. Now let me share with you this scenario for a moment. It's June the 13th, 2017. You've been asked to preach to people who live in the Grinfield Tower. As you look around at the hundreds of faces, you know that in the next 24 hours, some of those people are going to die at a horrific death. So what are you going to say to these people? God has a wonderful plan for your life? You can't say that, can you? You would have a, a sobering attitude. You're speaking to people who are going to die. What doctor is going to offer someone the cure if they have not first convinced the person of their disease? He must have the knowledge of this disease before he will accept the cure. The disease is sin that leads to death and the cure is the gospel that leads to life. And that's why it's so important that we don't preach a third or a two-third gospel. We have to make sure that we have the right message. If we have a watered-down message, it's going to lose its curative properties. We must preach the whole gospel so that the person doesn't just come to Christ for those treats, for those promises that have been set. You will have a fantastic job. You will be wealthy. Your marriage will be, will be buff and, and, and blooming and wonderful. You will have love, joy, peace and happiness. Can God do those things? Absolutely. But we can't use them as a draw card. Do you think that the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 wanted Lazarus to go and tell his five brothers that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? No. He wanted him to warn them. Okay. We want them to come to the cross because they've seen their sin and by God's loving kindness, they are drawn to repentance. We must take our time in our gospel message to bring understanding to people. We need to, we need to ask people if they see their sin in the light of who they've sinned against. Do you understand that you deserve condemnation? That you sit underneath the wrath of God? People don't understand that. They say, well, how can a finite sin like lying demand an eternity in hell? You see, a finite sin deserves an eternity in hell because of how good God is. Let me explain that. If I go home and I take a swing at Denise and I miss, she's going to go mad 
she might call the police. What if the police come to my house and I take a, a swing at the arresting officer and I miss? It's a bit more serious. I'll probably get arrested. So I turn up in Southwark Magistrate Court and I walk up to the judge and I take a swing at him and I miss. I'll probably go to jail. Now what if the Queen came to Ecclesia and I ran up to her to take a swing at her? I'm probably, all right, I'm going to lose my life before I even get anywhere near her. Check it. I've committed exactly the same crime. So why is my penalty so severe? It's because of how great the person is that I've sinned against. And that's why a finite sin deserves an eternity in hell. It's not the severity of our sin. It's how great God is. We must seek to bring understanding to him or her. And that's why we must talk about sin. We must talk about sin. So that the sinner can see his sin in the light of a holy God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for a man once to die and after this a judgment. Revelations 21.8 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire, which burns with sulfur, which is a second death. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, it's not me, it's not you that brings conviction of sin. God uses our preaching through the Holy Spirit to bring the conviction. Let's be very careful to lay out what sin is. Let's be very careful to help the unbeliever understand what God has done to save him. That in and of himself, he is set apart from the grace of God. We must show the unbeliever that in God's eyes, he's a criminal. He's violated God's law, the Ten Commandments. God is a just judge and he will punish sin. But God is also rich in mercy and has provided a saviour. 2,000 years ago, God became a man, Jesus of Nazareth. He lived a sinless life, and then he died on a cross. The sin of the world was laid upon him. He was punished for your sin. We broke God's law, and Jesus paid our fine through his suffering and death. And then he rose again from the dead. What that means, it means that because your fine was paid 2,000 years ago by the Saviour, God can dismiss your case. God can legally forgive your sin. And then we talk about repentance, turning from sin. We talk about faith in Christ, surrendering our lives to him. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I got caught. But godly sorrow is when you've sinned against God and you're broken inside. You go into your room, you close the door, 
You get down on your knees and you pray and ask forgiveness for forgiveness. And nobody has to know that you've committed that sin. That's godly sorrow. You will trust in God when you turn from trusting in yourself. Repentance is turning from yourself and turning to God and trusting in Jesus. If you do that, God will commute your death sentence. He will forgive all of your sins and he will grant you eternal life. Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Powerful verse. For, for our sake, he... Sorry, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So let's watch our last clip um, about judgment and grace. Son, 
God's anger and wrath that is owed to me and you was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that if you repent and turn from sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus, God says he will forgive every sin that you've ever committed in the past. He will commute your death sentence and he will grant you eternal life. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, the life. He said no one comes to the Father except from me. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So karma and all those things, yin and yang and all those things, can't save us. Only the blood of Christ, that person that lived that life we can't live, sinless in full word and deed, have taken the punishment for you in order that God can let you go free. And on that basis, God will forgive your sins and he will let you into heaven. And you will not be under the penalty that sin brings. And then he will change you and you will not be under the dominion of sin. Sin will no longer have a hold on you. You'll be able to say no to sin and be able to, 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 to walk through that, you know? So, you know, let's sum up, mate. If you die today and God gave you justice, you've got God's word that you end up in hell. But remember, Jesus came, died to set you free. The Bible says, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, all other religions are work righteous. You have to do things. But Christianity says there's nothing you can do to save yourself. It's all about what Jesus did for us, for me, for you. He did that for me 10 years ago. Forgave my wretched path and gave me a new heart with new desires. And that's what God wants to do for you. But you must repent and turn from sin. Change the way you think about it. And put your faith and trust in Him. So it's not just... to get to to heaven, man's attempt to get to God. 
God saved you, that God, God loves you and he sent his son to pay the price. And you need to be in fellowship with him. You need to be in fellowship with a local church. This is not just a random chance meeting. We prayed this morning hard to meet people that we can talk to, that we can discuss, that people would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved from their sins and go on to be followers of Christ. And that's what we prayed hard for in, in our office and out here today before we even started. And, 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 and you're one of those answers to our prayer. Because I can see you're, you, you know, you're a deep person, you know what I mean? You feel, you feel a lot, yeah? And um, what we're saying to you is, is, is Jesus Christ is the only way. There's no other way. And, yeah, you know, it's really good to talk to you. Yeah? And I hope that, you know... There's two things you have to do to be saved, Cameron. The first thing you have to do, you have to repent. That means to turn away from your sin. And the second thing is you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So like you'll trust your life to a parachute. God's word says the minute you do that, Cameron, God will forgive everything you've ever committed, mate. He will commute your death sentence and he will grant you eternal life in heaven. Okay? Now let's remind Cameron, if you die today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell. But God doesn't want that to happen to you. The two things you have to do is to repent and trust in Jesus. When are you going to do that, bro? Are you guaranteed tomorrow? Today. You can do that today. Do you mean it? Yeah, I mean. Okay, can I pray for you, brother, when we finish, yeah? Thank you, brother. Thank you for sharing with me. Yeah, that brother was, yeah, you can see by what's up there. So, the good news. One of our greatest expressions of love should be to tell people about the one who is the very centre and foundation and goal of our life, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Uh, as I get ready to pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and you've heard this, and this has brought some conviction within your heart, um, I implore you to, to, to get right with God. The pastor's here. Bertram's here. I'm here. Um, if you want to speak to us, come up. Um, I know parts of this are a bit harsh and difficult to uh, comprehend, but... Um, like Charles Spurgeon said, if you do not preach the whole gospel, you will fill the church with false converts. And that's why we do that. So, cool. Let's just pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.